Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's an honor to be with you today. I, I, I love uh, your pastor and his wife, Kendrick and Melissa, and their family. Um, I've known them for many, many years. I've, I've known uh, Melissa's family uh, since I was a child. Uh, her grandfather and my father were pastor friends in Northern California for many years, and her dad was my predecessor at the foundation. Her mom and dad are good friends of ours, so it's really a privilege to be with you all today. And uh, Melissa and Dustin and the rest of the team, thank you so much for leading in worship today. It was great uh, just to worship with you. Tammy and I, my wife Tammy's right over here. Tammy and I have the opportunity to be at a number of churches throughout our state. And I just want to say you guys have a great, great worship team. And you have a wonderful pastor with some unique skills that many pastors don't have. And uh, I'm grateful uh, for Kendrick and his friendship. And uh, I just want you to know that you're honored and blessed to have Kendrick and Melissa here with you. Uh, I was a pastor for many years. I pastored in Redlands, as Kendrick mentioned, uh, where I met Kendrick some 20 years ago. I pastored and served a church in Redlands for uh, 26 years. Uh, Tammy and I are still members of the church that, uh, that I pastored, and were there. we were there last Sunday. And uh, so we've been a part of this church for about 30 years, and we're grateful to be there. But I'm really a pastor at heart. And as Kendrick said, I lead the Baptist Foundation, but really I'm a pastor at heart. And what we do at the Baptist Foundation is we serve pastors and churches like yours. We help churches like yours resource the Great Commission. And we do this through church investing. In fact, your church has an account uh, with us. We do it through church loans, and we also do it uh, through estate planning. And I know uh, Phil has been here doing estate planning seminar at your church as well. In fact, in 2022, you helped create an endowment at Gateway Seminary called the Karen Denise Watson Memorial Endowment. It was last May you helped create this with a $10,000 gift to this particular endowment. Karen Denise Watson was a missionary, one of our missionaries in Iraq. And she was martyred some years earlier. She was involved in a vehicle that was attacked and she lost her life. She was from Bakersfield, California. And so you helped create this endowment to train missionaries to go to the ends of the earth on our behalf. In fact, Kendrick, I'm proud to say that that gift you guys gave of $10,000, the foundation and some other partners have given to it. There is now $81,000 in that endowment that you created less than a year ago. So God's taken that money and multiplied it. So thank you for your generosity in helping train the next generation of missionaries. Now, I know your church has a heart for missions because as, as uh, Kendrick said, you've hosted my daughter and son-in-law here. In fact, during COVID, Tammy and I came with them uh, when Mitch preached out, on, I don't know what you call it out there, the patio out there where you guys met outdoors during COVID. We came one Sunday with them. And uh, the Promos, that's our daughter and son-in-law and their three kids, uh, said to say hello to you all. I talked to them a couple days ago and told them we were coming and uh, they said to say hello and they thank you for your partnership and support of them. Today I'm going to continue your series in the book of Ecclesiastes and I'm honored, as Kendrick said, to talk about the section on finances. And actually I really love to talk about this. Um, uh, for some of you, this will be the first time you've heard these concepts we're going to talk about. For some of you, you've lived these principles for years, and it'll be a review for you. 
For some of you, you've heard these biblical guidelines many times and you cringe every time someone preaches about them because you don't like them. And I I get that and that's okay as well. My prayer is, no matter which category you fall into, God will speak to you today as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and and chapter 6 and what the Bible says about God's financial plan for your life. So let me read from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, just a few verses, beginning in chapter 5, verse 10. Let me read them out of New Living Translation. It says, those who love money will never have enough. Well, that's discouraging, isn't it? Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I think most of us get that. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. That's sort of true, isn't it? So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There's another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money's put into risky investments that turn sour, and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and as empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. George Barna, the pollster, found that 60% of all couples argue over money. Now, I'm not going to take a show of hands now, or you don't need to elbow your spouse right now, but I think we all know that's true. In fact, money is now the number one cause of divorce in our country. You know, we say in our, our wedding vows, or most of us did, we said something like, till death do us part. I heard a pastor that say this, maybe we should change it till debt do us part. Maybe that's the better option, I don't know. This last Tuesday, the Wall Street Journal had an article that said 30-year-old Americans are now hitting record debt levels. People in their 30s now have more debt than any other age group in America. I think we all need what the Bible teaches about how to manage our resources. Now today, this might seem like a mundane, routine kind of practical affair, talking about money management. But it's far more important than routine and mundane. In fact, did you know the Bible says God measures your spiritual maturity by how you handle your financial resources? Did you know that the Bible says that God measures how much He can trust you by how you handle your financial resources here on this earth. In fact, let me take it one step further. Do you know that what you do in heaven has a direct relationship with how you manage your resources here on this earth? Here's what Luke chapter 16 says. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? 
Friends, money management, what we do with the resources that God entrusts us here in this earth has eternal implications. It's important for the here and now, but it has eternal implications as well. It's a big deal. Now, the Bible gives us good counsel when it comes to money management. The wealthiest man who ever lived is credited with writing most of three books of the Bible. The book of Proverbs, the book of Song of Songs, and the book you've been studying now for several weeks, the book of Ecclesiastes. His name was Solomon. He was the king of Israel after his father David. The Bible also says not only was he the wealthiest man that had lived up to that point, the Bible also says he was the wisest man who ever lived up to that point. And fortunately for us, He wrote three books of the Bible, the majority of them, that are filled with wisdom. And in two of those books, the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes, we find his principles, Solomon's Solomon's principles for money management. I would call it God's financial plan for us since Solomon wrote it and it's in the Bible. Now I'll tell you right up front, God's financial plan may require you to make some changes in your life today. So I'll just give you the disclaimer up front. It may require you to make some change. Now I want to give you four action steps. Four action steps for all of us, they're for me as well, that come from the wisdom writings of Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Proverbs. So here's the first one. Maintain accurate records. The Bible teaches this. You need to know where your money comes from and where it goes. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 27. Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches won't last forever. Now, when Solomon wrote these words thousands of years ago, most people's assets were tied up in either sheep or goats or both. If you go to Israel now, there are still nomads, shepherds, that have herds of sheep and goat that roam the hills around Jerusalem. What was Solomon saying? He was saying, today he might say, know the state, instead of know the state of your flocks, he might say, know the state of your stocks. He he might say something different today because most of us, in fact, I would venture to say nobody in this room has goats and sheep. Now, that's not a part of our wealth plan or strategy in Southern California. But what was Solomon saying? He was saying, know your assets. Know your bank account. Know your real estate. Know your income. Keep good records. This is the starting point if you want to be a wise financial manager of what God entrusts to you. You have to be aware of, you have to be aware of where your money comes from and where it's going. Now, you heard, you've heard the phrase before. People say, money talks. It really doesn't. The reality, it slips away quietly, and then you don't know where it went. For most of us, that's what happens. Have you ever thought, this time of year especially, and I hate to bring this up because it's discouraging, but it's tax time, right? This is the time where we're all dreading doing our taxes. And, and, and this time of year, the end of January, you get your W-2, you get a 1099, whatever, you're, or, you, or you, you do your own taxes if you're self-employed or you have someone doing it, and you look at all the money you earned last year, and then you have that thought, where did it all go? 
Okay, you're laughing because you have that thought like I do. And if you do have that thought, it means you're already in trouble in this particular area because you probably didn't keep good records. Proverbs says this. Solomon said this in Proverbs 23, 23. He said, get the facts at any price. So how am I doing financially? The question to ask is, Am I keeping good records? And there's four things you need to keep good records of. And if you're if you're taking notes, I'd write these four things down. Number one, you need to know what I own. Number two, you need to know what you owe. Number three, I need to know what I earn. And then fourthly, I need to know where it all goes. What I own, what I owe, what I earn, and where it all goes. The first step. For healthy financial management, according to the, to, to the writer of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, is to know what you own, to keep good records. Now you might say, I don't have time to worry about that. I don't have time to write it down. I don't have time to keep good records. Well, the reality is if you don't, you'll spend all your time worrying about whether you can pay the next bill, worrying about whether you've planned for the future. I mean, the the options are spend some time on the front side or spend time on the back side worrying. Those are the options for us. Solomon said, know the state of your flocks, your finances. Here's the the second plan of action or the second action step is that is to plan what you spend. This is simply budgeting. It's not a very popular topic for most people. It's sort of boring and mundane. I like this kind of topic, but most people, this is boring and mundane. A budget, by definition, is simply planning your spending. A budget is telling your money where you want it to go rather than, after the fact, wondering where it went. If you don't have a budget, the reality is you're probably not following God's financial plan for your life. You need to plan what you spend. Set some financial goals. Tammy and I, every year, set some financial goals. At the beginning of 2023, we set some financial goals. We prayed, we sought God, we set some goals. We set giving goals. How much we want to give in 2023 through our local church. We also set some goals to give to the International Mission Board. Our kids serve there uh, with them. Uh, We have another daughter in Riverside and her husband and a couple grandkids that are in process to go overseas with the International Mission Board. So we give to our local church. We give to the International Mission Board. We give to the North American Mission Board, which is our church planting arm. And then we give to the foundation, a fund that we have at the foundation that helps pastors. And then we give to Gateway Seminary and we give to Cal Baptist University. All those entities are are things that are dear to Tammy and I's heart. We also set at the beginning of every every year some retirement goals. How much we're going to put into retirement. How much we're going to save. How much we're going to invest. We also set some money aside. Our, Our kids are grown. We have grandkids and we want to bless our family. We want to do a vacation with all of our kids and families. And we set some goals at the beginning of every year. I would encourage you, don't go through another year wondering where your money went. Begin to set some financial goals for your family. Proverbs 21, verse 5, Solomon said, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So what is he saying? How much you make is not the issue. The Bible says that good planning and hard work is what matters. I know some of us think if I made just a little bit more, then things would be okay. 
just a little bit more, and then you make a little bit more, and you say, well, if I made just a little bit more, and then you make a little bit more, well, if I made just a little bit more, the issue is not how much you make. Here's the reality. If you can't live on what you make today, you're not going to be able to live on what you make tomorrow or next year. The reality is you have to learn to live on what you make today. You're always going to want more. Always. I always want more. There's always something I'd like to buy. Right, Tammy? Always. I'm really, I'm really, I don't have, I'm really good at pulling out my phone and uh, buying stuff online. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm really good at that. I've mastered that. There's always something else I want. And we have three grown kids that are married and grandkids, but when our kids were really young, there was always something our kids wanted. And they would say, well, Dad, I want this. And I started saying to them, it's okay to want. <laughs> they didn't really appreciate that. I would say, it's okay to want. It's fine if you want. We don't have to have everything you want. The reality is if you can't make it on what you earn today, you're not going to make it on what you earn tomorrow. But our society, our culture is against us on this one. Everything in our society is against us. Every magazine, you remember magazines? I don't know, some of you might still get magazines. Every magazine, every billboard, every radio, television, internet, and now it's social media ads. This is bizarre, you know, if you talk to your spouse near your phone about about something you want to buy, it like shows up in your social media ads now. How creepy is that? But every ad, no matter where you see that, every ad says, you need this item now. This item is going to change your life. Our culture says you need it today, now. It doesn't matter if you don't have it. Just put it on your credit card and you should get it today. If you don't plan what you spend, you will spend what you don't have. I love how, writer the, how blunt the writer of Proverbs can be. The writer of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 21, verse 20. Fools spend whatever they get. Let that sink in for a moment. Fools spend whatever they get. For some of you, that was worth the price of admission today. You need to take that and put it as the wallpaper on your phone. You may need to put it on the speedometer in your car. You may need to put it on the mere vanity that you look at every morning. Fools spend whatever they get. When our three children were young, Tammy and I would give them a small allowance every month. And we taught them with their allowance to tithe. We taught them to give 10% to the local church. We taught them to save a percentage of their allowance every month. And then they could spend the remainder. And you know how that went. We have three kids, two daughters and a son, and our son is the youngest. Our two daughters, for the most part, would save stuff and then they'd buy something they want. And our son would spend every penny the moment he got it each month. And then our daughters would save up and buy something really cool and he would want to buy what they bought, but he didn't have any money to buy it because he had spent it as fast as he got it. Now, maybe you do the same. Maybe you get your paycheck and you, okay, let's buy some furniture. Let's go shopping. Let's go on Amazon. I'm good at that one. You know, let's go to the movies or let's go out to eat. And, and before you know it, you've spent all of your resources. 
One translation of Proverbs 21, verse 20, it's a little more direct. It's called the Good News Translation. It says this, Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Years ago, I heard a story about one impulse buyer who decided to freeze his credit card in a, a cup of water in the freezer at his house. That way, he'd ha- if he wanted to buy something, it'd take you know two or three hours to thaw it out before he could purchase something. Now, if you're thinking, "Hey, microwave, stupid!" Hey, you already have a problem. Then, if you're, I mean, but now we don't even need that. Right now, it's all on. We can put your credit card in the wallet on your phone, and you don't. Yeah, freeze freeze the pl- piece of plastic. You can still spend now. How do you break the habit of impulse buying? Plan your spending. It's called the budget. Here's the third action step if you want God's financial plan for your life, and that is prepare for the future. The Bible tells us that a wise person prepares for the future. Proverbs 21.20, the first part of the verse I read a moment ago, says the wise man saves for the future. And then the opposite of that, the second half of the verse, it says, The fool spends whatever he gets. The wise man saves for the future. So how wise are we? How wise are you this morning? Do you know the average family in Japan saves about 20% of their income? 20%. I know some of you are looking at me going, I know where this is going. The average family in Japan uh, saves about 20%. The average family in Europe saves somewhere between 12 and 18% of their income. All right, this is the one you don't want to hear. The average U.S. the average personal savings rate in the U.S., depending on what study you look at, is somewhere between two and three percent. One study I read says the average family in America spends one to two percent more than they earn every year. We're not doing so well on this one, preparing for the future. One of the things that keeps us from saving and preparing for the future is what I'll just call envy or comparison. We look around and we see what other people we have and we think, hey, that's pretty cool. I want that. I'm guilty of this. I, I look, I, well, that's pretty cool. I, I need to get that. I pull out my phone and I start looking it up on Amazon or whatever site to see how, what it costs to get that. We say, I want that. And then we go after it. We try to get it too. And then the reality is in our neighborhoods or our schools or our offices where we're comparing ourselves to other people, we're never going to measure up to what somebody else has. The truth is those people that you're envying or you're comparing yourself to, they're probably in way more debt than you are anyway. So stop comparing, stop looking at what they have and saying, I need that as well. You have to come to the point where you say, I don't really care what other people have. I'm going to do what's right today for my family, and I'm going to prepare for the future. Now, we don't hoard for the future like the writer of Ecclesiastes talked about in chapter 5 that we read earlier, but we do need to save appropriately, prepare for retirement, prepare for the future, have an emergency savings fund so when the car needs tires or the transmission goes out or the roof leaks, There's some funds available to take care of those things. Solomon said this in Proverbs 13, verse 11. 
He said, money that comes easily disappears quickly. But money that is gathered little by little will grow. If you want to see the truth of that verse, Google what happens to California lottery winners. Most of them are broken like 18 months. Take it a step further. Do a little Googling about NFL players when their NFL career ends. An overwhelming majority of them are broke or bankrupt within five years of their career ending. Money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. In other words, saving, preparing for the future. You've got to start saving and preparing for the future. Here's the fourth action step. If you want God's financial plan for your life, give 10% to God. Some of you know this principle well. You live by it. Maybe you've lived by it for years. If I could be blunt and honest, there's others of you, you'd prefer to tear a page or two out of the Bible and just ignore this particular concept or idea. You'd like to pretend that it doesn't exist. And some of you will take it a step further. And I was a pastor for 26 years at the same church, so I heard it multiple times. You want to argue that this is Old Testament and doesn't apply today. You want to argue that tithing is an Old Testament concept and it doesn't apply in the New Testament. Read Matthew 23. Matthew 23, Jesus was talking to the religious leaders of the day. He was being critical of them. But he said these words. He said, you should tithe in Matthew 23. Go read it it later. He affirmed the tithe. Let's look at what the Bible says in the Old Testament. This is maybe the most familiar passage in the Old Testament about tithing. Matthew, or Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn. The New Testament version of the storehouse is a local church. Bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn. Test me in this, says the Lord God, all-powerful. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. God says bring the, bring the first 10% to the local church. In other words, if I make 100 bucks, I bring the first $10 back to God to the local church. Now, why did God say bring the first 10%? I have no idea. He could have said bring 20%, 50%, 80 He could have said 90%. The reality is everything we have belongs to God. The breath you just took came from God. Everything you have, everything you possess, everything about your life is from God. God could have said, give me everything. But He didn't. He said, bring 10%. The New Testament says to bring your first fruits to God. Everything we have is on loan from God for 40, 50, 60, 80, 90 years, however many years God has you on this earth. And God says, I want you to take the first 10% and give it back to me. By the way, the first 10%, that's the starting point. That's not the end goal. That's the starting point. Tammy and I have been married for 35 years. When we got married, we made a commitment that we would give God a minimum of 10% of everything He gave us. God would always get paid was what we said. And there have been plenty of times when the month outlasted our bank account. But we made a commitment to always give to God. 
And I know some of you would say, well, hey, I'd like to do that. I just can't afford to. I would say you can't afford not to. Whatever you want God to bless in your life, you put Him first in that area. If you want God to bless your marriage, put God first in your marriage, right? If you want God to bless your education, you put God first in that area. If you want God to bless your family, you put God first in your family. If you want God to bless your finances, you put Him first in your finances. And you put God first in your finances by committing to return a minimum of 10% to God. 10% is the starting point, not the end. If you can't afford to give God the first 10%, it it means one thing. It means you're spending too much. You've got to readjust your priorities. Tammy and I have lived by a principle for many, many years. And the principle is this. Every time our family income has increased, we have not increased our standard of living by that amount. If our income increased by this amount, we didn't increase our standard of living to match. In fact, for many, many, many years, we have increased our standard of giving when our income has gone up. We've increased our standard of saving for the future, but we have limited our sta- increasing our standard of living when our income is increased. Tammy and I live in the same home we've lived in for how many years? 28, 27 years. It's an 1,800 square foot track home that we've lived in for 28 years. Um, we... We live pretty average lives, but every time God has blessed us and increased our income, we have increased our standard of giving and our standard of savings, and we have limited how we've increased our standard of living. Here's why. Because I believe that God has blessed us not so we could live at a different level. And by the way, God's taking care of us. We, I mean, we're not living in poverty But we just believe every time that God's blessed us that He blesses us so we can bless the kingdom more and so we can prepare for the future and we can bless others more. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. These are the words of Solomon. Honor the Lord by giving them the first part of all your income and He will fill your barns. When you follow God's financial plan for your life, He will bless you. Let me pause for a minute. This is not a health and wealth gospel. I'm not saying you give to God financially and He will bless you financially. Sometimes the blessings that God provides aren't financial blessings. They're other blessings with your family or your health or your career or other blessings in your life. But Proverbs is very clear. Solomon said when you honor God by giving Him the first part of all your income, He will will fill your barns. He will bless you. Here's the fifth action step if you want to follow God's financial plan for your life. Enjoy what you do have. Now I've given you some action steps that will require some work. The last one's easy. Enjoy what you do have. Friends, this is about being content though with what you have today. Enjoy where you are today, where God has placed you, what God has blessed you with 
today. It's about being content with where your financial situation is today. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have goals for the future, but you have to learn to be content with where you are today. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9, Solomon said this, It's better to enjoy what you have than to always want something else. Because that makes no more sense than chasing the wind. Enjoy what you have. Certainly work to get out of debt. Work so you can give more. Work so you can prepare for the future. But enjoy what you have today instead of wishing for what you don't have. Solomon said in Proverbs 11, the generous prosper and are satisfied. Enjoy what you have today and be generous to others. Be satisfied with what God has given you and be generous to God's work and to others. In our culture, nearly everybody wants more. God wants you to be content with what you already have. God may bless you in the future, but He wants you to be content with what you have today. That's exactly what it says in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 13, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now let me read the passage from Solomon that we started with. I want to read it again. Ecclesiastes 5, beginning in verse 10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There's another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything's lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. I mentioned earlier, my daughter and son-in-law, the Promos, they've been here with you all a couple of times. In 2016, Tammy and I watched our daughter and son-in-law, sell everything they own on this earth. They sold both of their cars. They sold their household goods, all of their furniture. And they packed everything they owned into four large suitcases and two small suitcases. And Tammy and I, along with my son-in-law's parents dropped them off at Los Angeles International Airport with those four large suitcases and two small ones and everything they owned in this world packed in those six suitcases. All of their earthly possessions were in those bags. And they flew to Southeast Asia where they currently live to take the gospel to an unreached people group in Southeast Asia. Tammy and I were, I don't know what the words would be, we were 
in awe of, we were impressed with our own kids that they would give up everything for the sake of the gospel. And then the more I thought about that, that's what God requires of every single one of us. To get, he requires us to give up everything for the sake of the gospel. That doesn't mean you're going to move to Southeast Asia or to the Middle East or wherever. What it does mean is that God wants you to live like this with open hands, willing to give whatever He asks of you to give for the sake of the gospel. I read this verse earlier. Solomon said, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Only the impact we have in this life on reaching people with the gospel will last. God wants to bless you and your family financially, but he gives us some guidelines that we've just discussed. Let me summarize those five guidelines because the order of those is important as well here's what most people do we earn then we enjoy then we repay our our debt then we save if there's anything left and then by some stretch of luck if there's still anything left then we give to god's kingdom Most people do that. They earn, enjoy, repay, save, and give. Here's the order that God blesses in our lives. God blesses this order. We earn. Then we give or tithe to the local church. Then we save and prepare for the future. Then we repay our debt. And then if there's anything left, we enjoy it. You see the two differences? You see the differences in those two plans? God blesses it when we earn, give, save, repay, and then enjoy. Here's the root of all of our financial challenges. It's unbelief. Do I really trust God and His plan with my finances? Or do I feel like I can do it better on my own, my own way? The reality is, many of us in this room, we've trusted God with our eternal security, but we want to hold on to our finances and do it our way because we're not sure God can handle that portion. We have to learn to trust God with our finances as well and allow God to do a work in our lives in our finances as well. Friends, putting your faith and trust in God as your Savior is the most important decision that you can make in this life. But trusting God with your finances is incredibly important as well because the Bible says, in fact, these are the words of Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And God wants control of our hearts. God wants control of what we do with our resources because that gets at the heart of who we are. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for challenging us from your word. Father, I'm grateful that in your word you, you give us truth for practical areas of life as well. I'm grateful in your word you, you give us practical truth to live by daily. And Father, I pray that the truth from your word in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs that we've looked at this morning will challenge hearts this morning. Pray that you would challenge us to live in a way that would honor you with our financial resources. Father, I pray that you would use the scripture this morning to convict. And I pray that you would use the scripture to challenge us to make a difference in the way we live and the way we manage our financial resources. Father, thank you for Solomon and for his wisdom in giving us direction in this important area of our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.